welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone I am Ritika Gupta assistant director at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute Prabhav Evam Niti Anusandhan Sansthan Nayi Delhi extend my heart is welcome to you all to Impri #webpolicytalk today we are here for a special talk on mobility barriers to women's work and education perspectives from a pre and post pandemic india this discussion is part of the series the state of gender equality #gendergaps organized by gender impact study center at impri the speaker for today is ms nikita sharma i would now like to request our moderator for today dr simi mehta who is ceo and editorial director at impri to introduce our eminent panelists and speaker for ma'am over to you thank you thank you ritika and good evening to everyone i hope all of you are keeping safe and you are in the best of health and so same is true for your loved ones your family and uh, everyone around you so uh, welcome everyone for this very important uh, uh, web policy talk and um, without wasting any time i would like to introduce our uh, chair for the day professor vibhuti patel um, former professor at tis mumbai and also at sndt women's university she is an eminent economist and feminist and uh, our inspiration so welcome ma'am and with your permission i would like to introduce our speaker yeah. ms nikita sharma So Ms Nikita Sharma is uh, the managing editor for the in- International Growth Center and oversees IGC publications including the IGC blog and Vox Dev and prior to joining the IGC she worked as a research assistant at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology MIT she holds an MA degree in international and development economics from Yale University and also um, a ba uh, degree in economics from miranda house university of delhi uh, welcome nikita and it is our pleasure to be hosting you today uh, our discussants for the evening are dr sangeeta desai she is as- assistant professor at the research center for women's studies delhi we have with us dr cecilia chetiar she is head of department department of psychology at manibain nanavati women's college mumbai Uh, we have with us ms aditi ratho she is uh, associate fellow at uh, observer research foundation kolkata and uh, we have with us dr rajshree trivedi she is principal of manibain nanavati women's college mumbai so i welcome all of you and uh, we look forward to um, uh, this very interesting discussion so uh, i would like to invite professor vibhuti patel chair of the session to for her inaugural remarks and then introduce invite uh, ms nikita thereafter over yeah. to you ma'am yeah Thank you very much for organizing special lecture on mobility barriers to women's work, education perspectives from pre and post pandemic India, uh, by Nikita uh, Nikita Sharma, uh, and I think I am also quite pleased to see that Dr. Sangeeta Desai, Dr. Rajeshri Trivedi, Dr. Cecilia Chetty are who has been associated with educational institution, which are. Uh, 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 affiliated to SDT Women's University, they have seen this uh, whole mobility barrier, and they have a first-hand experience to reflect on today's discussion. It is from that 2013, after the uh, gang rape of uh, by six uh, men 
in the moving bus in the evening of a physiotherapy students in the in December 2012, that the question of mobility has become very important. We, the ILO also showed a drastic decline in the work participation of women from 2013 to 2017. In four years time from 34% to it reduced to 27%. Currently it is 18% of women who are in the workforce. And the major reason, even the McKinsey report, so many area studies, rapid assessment studies are also showing that street harassment, a problem of mobility, uh, the the the, uh, the harassment which is faced while traveling to the workplace or to the uh, school or college is a major deterrent for women dropping out of both education and uh, uh, work participation. We have also seen that there have been the NGOs and the women's organizations have highlighted that wherever there is a special infrastructural support is provided, the work, the women's uh, the attention uh, or retention of girls in the school is very high. We have experience of Mumbai city where, we, where there was a BEST government wanted to privatize Bombay suburban transport services, which is supposed to be the best in the world. We best is best. That's what we used to say. And uh, the best workers went on a strike. In those one uh, uh, six weeks, we saw so many girls from communities in Mumbai. They had dropped out of school and colleges. It was luckily the strike got over and they went back, but the girls missed out on school. In the rural areas also, we have seen that wherever the women's organizations have provided cluster approach uh, and their, their bicycle scheme worked, but bicycle scheme alone doesn't work. You have to uh, also provide the safety and security. So the girls have to come together at the one point in the village. They have to travel together. Then only there is a security. So the community initiative infrastructural support have become very important. And even after the seven decades of independence, the biggest barrier to women's work in India remains uh, the social construction of gender, the gender stereotypes we have, and this whole public-private dichotomy that women have to be in the private realm, as if private realm is going to give them security, because we have also come across massive child sexual abuse and incest, even in the, uh, in, in, in the private sphere. And also public sphere also, there is so much of misogyny and uh, massive uh, backlash of aggression that we are seeing, even in the so-called safe cities like Bombay or the Western India, uh, we are seeing. So the cultural barriers are also against uh, women because there is uh, so much of segregation in the uh, this thing. And that's especially after the girls start menstruating. So many girls, even in the urban centers, they, they, they are dropped out. So from the secondary and uh, higher education that we see that only 25% of them managed to enter the university uh, universities even after scoring very good uh, marks. Uh, the testimonies in the Me Too movement and also the currently the uh, internal committees of the sexual harassment, which also talks about work, workplace harassment uh, at, in a big way. So that is also one of the deterrents and many uh, small scale studies and micro studies have shown that parents are now 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 hesitant because of immediately after the new economic policy we were talking about the u-shaped curve phenomena that u-shaped curve was rising where the educated women in the service sector were entering the workforce that has now gone down there is a defeminization of women from the workforce and mainly the security issues and the mobility issues are very high uh, very important UNDP started a disha program in collaboration with the state governments and the universities they targeted 
a training of 15000 university students with various skills so which are which are important for the future of economy and which are uh, very important in the current economic scenario of a massive technological uh, uh, transformation the platform based economy and all and what they encountered was a mobility was a major issue from workplace to home uh, that was a major issue that was if if the girl or a, a newly entrant in the workforce had to change two buses and one train and this and that was that became the uh, deterrent for both the families uh, of young women uh, both the matrimonial family and the in-laws so it is in this uh, uh, and the employer attitude also is very very interesting if they would not uh, wherever there is a dormitory based production that means in the special economic zone or uh, export processing zone where girls are staying in the hostel in a confined place that is the where for a labor intensive work you are getting those kind of jobs but when it comes to the white collar jobs or in a uh, educated women like 40% of women mbas in our country they are not working it's a great puzzle that why when women's uh, entry into the higher education has increased we have now thousands of women who are degree holders but why these degrees don't transform into very good professional life and a very good career so that is also very very important question that we are facing and all these issues are st very strongly linked to the question of mobility and i am really happy that today we are going we have read some many articles by nikita on portal i think this is the only one who is writing so much i had came to uh, i read the report by undp about mobility but people talk in an anecdotal way about the problems of mobility but the systematic scientific study and making a case that how can we solve this problem safe infrastructure is everyone's right it's a women's human right and uh, taking the discourse in that given that society has to create enabling environment for the girls and women to make active contribution in the field of education and uh, and in the field of work even when it comes to online education for the first time we are appreciating that our teachers are working so hard our uh, and also work from home has also shown women are committed they are efficient they are qualified but the question of security and safety is very very important that we need to tackle thank you over to nikita Thank you, Professor Vibhuti, for that very lovely introduction. Um, I shall now share my slides. Right. Yes, it's on. Yeah, is it? Okay, thank you so much for letting me know. Uh, hello. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today. And thank you to Professor Vibhuti for that introduction and to the Impact and Policy Research Institute for giving me this opportunity. With the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and the consequent lockdown restrictions, one of the life-altering aspects had to do with our mobility. For the new restrictions, the mobility of both women and men was severely affected. However, the difference here is that women were already operating under significant restrictions to their mobility, owing to threats to their safety in public spaces. So in our discussion today, we will be looking at the mobility barriers to women's work and education, and further informing our perspectives on the basis of economic research that is out there in this area. The barriers to mobility are gendered, as we may all have experienced, and traversing the same public spaces could yield very different experiences for women and men. 
while these public spaces for have existed for centuries, women's entry and participation in them has been relatively recent. In 1905, Rakia Sakhavat Kusan wrote Sultana's Dream, a radical reimagining of the world where women were the ones inhabiting the public spaces, comfortably moving around for work and leisure, while the men were restricted to private mardanas. But that was fiction. Even though we have come a long way, women's access to public spaces is at best conditional, often requiring a demonstrable purpose to go to work, to go to school. In 2018, Thomas Reuters survey ranked India as the world's most dangerous country for women. And more recently, India ranked 140 among 156 countries in 2021's Global Gender Gap Index, dropping 28 places since 2020. In their groundbreaking work, While Loiter, Women and Risk on Mumbai Streets, Shilpa Farke, Shilpa Ranade, and Samira Khan argue that when society wants to keep a woman safe, it never chooses to make public spaces safe for her, and instead tries to limit her right to this space. This becomes even more problematic when this barrier to access public spaces implies a barrier to the pursuit of education or employment, two crucial means of women's empowerment. So now we look at the education and the mobility barriers that way. So as of 2018, the National Commission for Protection of Child Rights reported that 39.4 adolescent girls are not attending school. A drop in enrollment is especially pronounced at puberty during the transition from primary schooling to secondary schooling. There are a multitude of factors deterring girls from pursuing secondary education. The expectation to help out with our household chores and look after the younger siblings, low familial aspirations from a girl's education, the norm of getting her married early, lack of toilets and threats to safety in and on the way to school. Distance from schooling here plays a big role because while most villages have a primary school, fewer of them tend to have a secondary school as well. And when these secondary schools are further away, there is an increased perceived risk of being harassed on the way. To overcome these barriers, economic literature has suggested demand-side solutions such as conditional cash transfers. And on the supply side, solutions such as construction of more secondary schools to improve access. However, these haven't been particularly cost-effective ways of improving a girl's schooling attainment, especially when it has to be implemented at scale. So in 2006, the Bihar government launched an innovative program. It aimed to improve the secondary school access for girls by providing girls who enrolled in class nine with funds to buy a cycle, which would make it easier for them to go to schools. Karthik Murli Dharan and Nishit Prakash evaluated this program and found that it increased age-appropriate enrollment in secondary schools by 32% and reduced the gender gap in these schools by 40%. The increase in no enrollment over here was driven by villages which were further away from the secondary schools, indicating that cycles were perhaps effective in reducing the time to commute to schools and the safety risks. They also find an 18% increase in the number of girls who appear for high stakes secondary school exams 
and a 12% increase in the number of girls who pass it. The cycle program was an instance of the state subsidizing some of the psychological cost and burden that women bear to mitigate the risk of being harassed while commuting. But mostly they incurred these costs on their own. A survey by UN Women, supported by UN Women, revealed that 95% of women and girls aged 16 and 49 years in Delhi feel unsafe in its public spaces. And in another study, 84% of women aged 40 years or younger reported avoiding an area in the city because of harassment or fear of it. Thus, in order to retain their sense of safety, women actively take precautions and incur additional economic costs such as hiring a private vehicle or taking a safer but more expensive mode of public transport. So that would mean metros over buses or not going out alone at certain times, going out only with peers or family members or even not going out at all. Giri Jaborkar finds that these economic and opportunity costs also attain also extend to the attainment of human capital accumulation. In her study on college choice among students of Delhi University, she finds that female students are willing to attend a low-ranking college because they think it lies on a route that is considered safer. She also estimates that they are willing to pay Rs. 18,800 per year. This, by the way, is twice the annual tuition in Delhi. And travel 40 additional minutes to travel safely to their colleges. This preference pattern is naturally quite worrisome because these college choices have long-term impact on the students by affecting their academic training, network and labor market opportunities, and consequently lifetime earnings. Then high potential women have to sort into low-ranking colleges because of the risk of harassment in public spaces it not only affects their long-term outcomes, but also has consequences on the long-term economic growth of the country through its effect on the aggregate productivity. What these studies have shown us is that girls not only have to struggle against social norms and prejudices and risk their safety in their pursuit of education, but they also have to spend more money and time to do so. In the reality of families with limited means and social preference for sons, cycles to school or safer routes to colleges might prove to be more expensive and harder to secure than their actual cost. Still, in light of this pandemic, lockdown restrictions and school closures compelled education to move online. And while this made it easier for girls in the sense that they didn't have to go out to schools, it also brought a fresh set of obstacles for these female students. A study conducted by the Center for Catalyzing Change in the states of Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, Odisha, and Bihar revealed that in addition to the deep digital divide impeding access to online classes and other resources, girls were called on more often than boys to contribute to hazard chores, cleaning, cooking, washing, and also to take care of the younger siblings, with only 27% of them being able to devote most of their time to their studies. Now we come to the aspect of employment. So roughly, as Professor Vibhuti pointed out earlier, over the past two decades, India's economic prosperity has increased, its fertility rate has gone down, and the education levels of women improved. However, 
the female labor force participation has declined. As of 2019, India's female labor force participation was 18.6%, the lowest in South Asia. It is still not very clear why this might be happening. Economic literature has suggested that family constraints and social norms might have a big role to play. The World Values Survey data of 2012 suggests that in a scenario with scarce jobs, 63% of men and 48% of women think that, it, if, that in India believe that men should have more right to a job than women. While on the other hand, women, while on the other hand, and for comparison with contexts where women have much lesser mobility barriers, such as in the US, only 7% of men and 5% of women report that belief. Women are often seen as the secondary earners of their family. They participate in the labor market only when the family incomes are insufficient and need to be increased. As family incomes rise, women tend to drop out of the labor force in spite of their high levels of education. This could be because of pressures of care work towards young children and elderly relatives, expectations to prioritize domestic chores, the concerns of defying social norms, which deem women's place to be within the home and not as active earners or frequenters of the public sphere. Sarkar, Sahu, and Kansen analyzed panel data from the India Human Development Survey and find that women of 25 and 55 years of age are six times more likely to leave than to enter the labor market relative to men. They also find that factors such as the birth of a newborn baby can increase the probability of exiting the labor market by three percentage points. And this probability to exit the labor market also rises when there is a new elderly family member to take care of. To put things into greater perspective, these economists also analyze the periodic labor survey, labor force survey, and find that in a given quarter, while 92% of men are there in the labor force, only 24% of the women are. Moreover, 10% of these women are likely to exit in the next quarter, and 70% of those who exit are likely to remain out of the labor force in the quarter after that as well. In addition to the social norms and other constraints, another deterrent for women in accessing public spaces to work is the fear of violence and threats to safety on the way to work and at work. In their work, Chakrabarti, Mukherjee, Rachipali, and Saha take this correlation forward, and they argue that these perceived threats to safety are intensified when women and their families operate within environments of strong patriarchal and conservative norms. They find that women are not only less likely to work in areas where reported instances of harassment are higher and their perceived safety lower, they're also more likely to bear greater burden of stigma and the psychological cost of being harassed in social environments where there is less acceptance and support for women working outside their homes. In yet another study, Zara Siddiqui points out that reporting of violence and assault against women in India can deter them from participating in labor force by lowering their perceived safety in community to and at work. She estimates that sensitivity to such media reporting can lead to a 5.5% reduction in the sample average of labor force supply. 
However, it must be stressed here that it does not mean that media should not report such news. This is just an example of an indirect way in which our external environments can impact our decisions. She also finds that women from poor households are less deterred to, uh, to go outside and work in spite of this media reportage because of the necessity to augment their low family incomes, thereby proving to be a strong economic incentive to overcome their legitimate fears and take the risk of working outside. The pandemic and consequent lockdowns heralded a new era of work from home. This was great in the sense that it enabled women to work from within the home, avoiding the risks and barriers that come with going out to work. But the major downside of this was that only a very few select women could benefit from it. These were the more privileged women who possessed digital skills, access to internet and digital devices, and other relevant support at home, space, care, etc. And most importantly, these were the women who work in a way that is amenable to be done at home. Although it must also be borne in mind that even they have had to face the double burden of juggling a job and domestic chores and care work, which mostly fell on them. An ongoing study by Farzana Pridi, Amrita Dhillon, and Sanchari Roy, among the look at the more economic vulnerable households in five industrial districts of Delhi. They find that women appear to be bearing a greater burden of pandemic-induced stress and anxiety for their family's financial situation and health. So far, we have been looking at the mobility barriers to education and employment, but now we, we considered the risk of going outside the house and accessing public spaces. What of settings that are private and provide little chance of going out? As the country crept into lockdown to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, the grim fear of heightened vulnerability of domestic violence victims and the creation of new victims in the mentally and physically challenging months of restricted mobility and financial and planned employment insecurity loomed all too clearly. Already in a pre-pandemic India of 2019, 1,22,590 women reported having faced cruelty by husband or other male relative. And within only the first 18 days of lockdown, the National Commission of Women had received 123 complaints of domestic violence. Manisha Shah and S. Ravindran explore how restriction on mobility for both women and men played out within the home. Their preliminary findings suggest that cybercrime and domestic violence increased by 131% and rape and sexual assault decreased by 119%. They also find that these effects were stronger in regions where lockdown restrictions were tighter and where men and women thought that domestic violence was justified. So what happens now when India and the world begin to emerge from the grips of this pandemic? We will need to take a long, hard look at the many ways in which we hold women back, the barriers they face in pursuing work and education, and the safety and threats within their own homes. In 2015, McKinsey reported that if India adopts thorough measures to drastically improve the security and mobility of women to achieve gender equality, 
its GDP could grow by $700 billion by 2025. So what can be done? Well, the first step might be to start making public and private spaces for women and secure and better connected. And there is much, which is also beyond the scope of this presentation that can be done in this space. This can be tied to the way in which the public spaces are laid out, the people who are expected to use them when they're being designed and the people who are involved in designing them. For example, one metric of a city's health is the number of women who are able to access its spaces at nighttime. And to enable that, one of the first things could just be improving street lighting. Perhaps an approach could also be to have employers adopt a light touch encouragement that gets women to join the labor force. Organizations could adopt direct campaigns aimed at recruiting women in roles where they have less representation. This would not only contribute towards shifting gender norms, but also encourage more women to work and their families to support them, especially when they see other women managing work and domestic life, which is fine. As of now, this particular approach is being adopted in the US with regards to STEM fields, which are science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and to encourage more women to participate and to study and to work in these fields. You have also seen in this presentation that women's attachment to the labor market is weaker than men, and they often have to leave to fulfill care responsibilities at home. A way to overcome this might just be to have more childcare centers near places of work for parents to drop their children off. Many studies have looked at the benefits and impacts of social networks by way of self-help groups and microfinance. Another way in which women peers can help each other is by accompanying each other to vocational training courses, applying for microfinance loans. Studies have revealed that in this way, when they have a peer or a partner, female partner to go with them, they are more likely to take up, meet their agreed targets, and also to more broadly affect change. There is empirical evidence on various types of interventions that can also be employed to nurture more progressive outlooks among young boys and girls and their families. These include empowerment and negotiation training to adolescent girls, football practice and lessons on gender equality for adolescent boys, and awareness of building interventions among parents. Lastly, together it is lastly, together it is imperative for us to ensure that it is women and girls are not just able to study and work freely, but also simply live safely and peacefully. So that brings me to my conclusion and thank you. Vibhuti ma'am, over to you. Ma'am, please uh, unmute. Yes. Yeah, Nikita, you have made a very comprehensive presentation. So I would just like to add in way ahead, uh, three important things, changing the employer's outlook, it's giving safe, safe transport and cluster approach are very important, even in case of um, uh, dot-com companies and uh, IT companies. Uh, they provide transport, but they also have to have a cluster approach that women, a single woman traveling with a driver, I think it has created so many murder in Pune, murder in uh, Bangalore, we have seen that. So cluster approach, very important, change in the employer's outlook. Anything, investment for safety of women should not be treated as a burden. It is a fundamental necessity of this. And second one is a uh, uh, 
whether it is in employment or education field, promote cluster approach that and mass women should go. One or two women, it is easy to evict hunt or isolate or victimize them. But if they are in group, then they can be asserted. And third is a safety audit, which Bombay and Delhi have started. After Shakti Mill rape case, 400 students of NSS from SNDT and Bombay University, they volunteered to do safety audit of MMRD region. Similarly, Delhi University and uh, Jagori and Delhi uh, DDA, DDA, Delhi Development Authority, they did the safety audit. Which are the areas which are most unsafe for elderly, for women, for children, for school going people, which are the areas which are not properly lit. And it was found that at least in Bombay, unfinished constructions, they were the most unsafe. And then the police also, the, the, then the uh, uh, municipal corporation saw to it that there was a bit police, there was some, uh, this thing, no, uh, this thing, and uh, some community life was created. And the lonely roads are most unsafe. So we need eyes on the road. That means allow hawkers, allow vendors to, to, to be on the roads because wherever the road, in Bombay, wherever you go, people are there, then that gives you safety. But in Delhi, after five o'clock, you don't see anybody on the road, only four wheelers, three wheelers uh, are there. So I think uh, the, we need to think of our town planning in a different way. Instead of smart city, let us talk of uh, safe city. Because smart cities, only CCTV cameras will catch the culprit after the crime takes place. Why shouldn't we create a situation where there is no crime? Thank you very much. Very, very insightful presentation. Yeah. So, yeah. There, is, yes. <laughs> there is no order of the discussions, but Simi? Yes, yes, please, uh, Vibhuti ma'am, you can just yeah. uh, follow on the discussions. Okay, okay. So, Dr. Rajeshree, you being a principal of a women's college, what do you think about the whole question of mobility of women? You have also been a working woman and you have also been uh, seen all your teachers traveling long distance in a city like Mumbai and also your students. You have more thousands of students in your college. Thank you, Vibhuti ma'am. You've always been a great source of inspiration. Uh, uh, being a teacher, basically, and then becoming an administrator, a governor of a, and a heading an institution, a women's institution, has uh, actually fetched me 30 long years of experience of working with young girls whose age group is between 18 uh, and 25. Uh, when we talk of mobility and when we talk of pre-pandemic times, uh, I have seen my students being ostracized, molested, I mean, being uh, assaulted by uh, road uh, Romeo kind of people at seven in the morning, when we talk of mobility, the first challenge uh, before they face these kind of situation is the mobility issue at home. At for the 7.30 class, are the girls allowed from their families on a rainy day or on a cold wintry uh, dark day to go out of the house? The first mobility concern begins from there. The students, who are very dedicated, devoted. They make it by convincing their parents. And when they come to college using shortcuts or using public places like public gardens, municipal markets, the real challenge begins from there, which are lonely areas and there's nobody around. There have been cases in the past before 10 years where my students used to just look down and you know try to ignore the comments or lewd remarks or gestures of uh, the teaser, you teasers around. But now the girls speak up. And uh, there was one incident where a student came openly and complained and she actually, uh, you know, conspired a plot against that man and my security people, she took them into confidence and then she, she was very successful in getting that man arrested. Uh, 
so uh, then uh, after that we have started uh, orienting students for women's protection and safety and what has to be done what is fir and all those issues coming to the during pandemic i will not go straight to the post pandemic but during pandemic yes uh, digital divide uh, financial constraints at home girls coming from socio economically challenged backgrounds when we talk of mobility in academia we talk of uh, horizontal mobility and uh, vertical mobility in terms of uh, students going from first year to second year or first year to another uh, you know cafeteria course or choice based credit system courses as horizontal mobility but where is the money where is the uh, the support of the family where are the uh, latest gadgets two of my students wanted to appear for the test employment test for uh, one of the multinationals but they didn't have those uh, uh, gadgets which would really take them to the test and they had to leave the test in between because they did not have that configuration or compatibility their mobiles were very low end mobiles so we talk of mobility during the pandemic times whether it's employment whether it's education we devise tests for students mcq based test and other tests but where are those gadgets which my students or my any of the students across the country who belong to urban as well as rural areas so during pandemic these are the challenges but more than these two challenges which i talked about is the lack of motivation more than one and uh, uh, one year and a half now on the way uh, the lack of motivation is going down and thanks to my teachers who are counseling students on one to one basis and uh, you know mentoring them to continue their studies they want to continue there's no money there's no uh, gadget there is no time because again as uh, nikita said household chores have to be done by girls at 7 the class is 8 the classes begin so these are the issues when we talk of post pandemic once again the parents intervention will be there that why should i send my student to the school by to your college can she not study at home apne itne saal to padhaya ek saal to padhaya so these are the challenges which we face and i'm sure cecilia will agree with me on day to day basis when working in a women's institution i mean uh, these are grassroots challenges which we face and we uh, work on it thanks to the teachers team and i'm sure across all the colleges in mumbai and in other parts of india teachers have really been dedicatedly working for uh, reducing the dropout rates because as uh, the dropout rates will increase uh, the first year students will not go to the second year Uh, classes there will surely be dropouts and this dropouts will surely impact the inclusion of more women in the workforce which will again affect the gdp of the uh, country so these are some of the challenges which we need to and we have been teachers has been working on it with the help of ngos and other uh, interested parties so yeah so dr rajesh yes uh, more than 1 crore 1.2 crore girls that means 10.2 and uh, uh, like girls are uh, Uh, out of uh, the uh, schools and colleges under yes. the pandemic yes. so cecilia you being a counselor and what kind of uh, methods can be, be used by the education institutions and the governance structures to see to it that uh, this girl there is no generational inequality because if this girls they fall back into uh, this thing no illiteracy and they are out of school then it's going to have a full impact on the generation no? Good evening, good evening, everyone. Um, speaking as a counselor, one of the things that is most important before we start creating mobility for the students or for the young women uh, is for women to believe that they have the mobility. 
you'll find that most of the women themselves think when they're making career choices, when they're looking out for a job, they are considering the possibility that I'm going to get married, I'm going to have children. So what are the things that I'm going to do? What are the choices that I should make, which will reduce, uh, reduce problems, which will not require too much of mobility. So they've automatically restricted themselves right at the start, beside the social restrictions and everything. So right from what they want to do, a lot of the dreams are killed because they say, oh, if I want to be a singer or if I want to be a dancer, I need to be traveling. I won't be allowed to do that. So they, that's where they're starting. Also being someone who's, uh, who's worked in Mumbai right from the time I was 16. And uh, it's been 30 years that I've lived and worked in Mumbai. And there are some changes that I have seen and I've borrowed something which it makes sense. If you divide it into the access, the ambition and the ability, then how do we discuss mobility specifically for women? A lot of restrictions which are already in place, which we don't think about, for instance, heteronormative uh, transportation styles. The bigger cars are always for the men. The smaller cars are always for the women. The two, -wheel two wheelers are mostly for the girls. Let's not have the geared vehicles for the girls compared to a two-wheeler access for girls in Mumbai, I think it's increased more, maybe about in the past five, seven years. I've lived outside Mumbai, worked outside Mumbai, and uh, even 25 years ago in smaller cities, girls were always mobile on two-wheelers. But even then, the work, yes, the work work radius, the, the work or the travel radius of five, 10 kilometers, because two-wheelers anyways, you're not looking at traveling too far. So um, also the assumption that, you know, women can't remember directions, women can't manage big vehicles, they get lost, navigation skills. This is also being judged. And even, you, sorry? Even the road rage. Women the road rage. rage. You, the women are a product or are the receiving end of the road rage. So if a, guy, a man is angry and he wants to bang your car because a woman is usually in a smaller car, you will have the man getting away with it. Um, BST buses in... Sorry, ma'am, I know BST buses, you said, are the best buses, but also known for a lot of uh, unpleasant events where they are they're happier uh, br uh, brushing a woman's car than a man's car because, you know, a man will get off to fight, whereas a woman will probably just roll up a window. Well, and adolescent say, girls have uh, reported masturbation yes. openly done by the commuters, no? Co person Correct. sitting next to them, next old to elderly them. person. There are so many complaints in the police. So, exactly. So... Uh, that is why uh, I think the number of two-wheelers in Mumbai have actually increased because the choice was for girls to travel by public transport or travel by rickshaws um, or the other private vehicles, which was working out more expensive. And that is how they managed to convince their family members that I will go ahead and travel by two-wheelers. So here, what comes in, the girl has to believe that she can do it. And that comes not whether we create a social space for them or we don't. If the girl does not believe that she can take it or that she can't, uh, can't move forward. Um, I think all our efforts in the social space may not bear as much success as we would like to. Some other things, um, yeah, when, when we, we also consider the post-pandemic choices, when it is time to come back, what is the preference? What, what would we want the girls to come back to? You see, working students face a double disadvantage. Working female students face a, more, uh, a bigger disadvantage. So they're expected to have mobility to the workplace. It's all right if they don't have mobility to college. They should be able to be uh, transport themselves to the workplace. And if they face trouble there, then the parents are less willing to process that, but they are more affected if the girls have trouble going to college. Because this is what some of our students say. They are working students and when they don't turn up for lectures, I'm asking them, why can't you come for class when you can travel all the way there? Like, 
should I speak to your parents? And these are the stories that come out that they don't mind that I don't come to college. They have a bigger problem that I'm not going to work and the salary is not coming in. And we keep calling it a supplemental income. If it is a supplementary income, why is it so necessary to endanger them, put their, uh, you know, their dignity at risk and ask them to travel? Um, helping out with chores for a working mother is, of course, the responsibility of the daughter rather than the son. And I think quite a few of you have spoken about it. Enable the women to think that they have the right to such spaces. And um, I think Nikita, you sp spoke about care responsibility, uh, you know, so therefore they need to have more care centers. I would like to add to this, along with creating care centers, empower the women because there is a maternal instinct. There is a biological maternal need for a mother to be there by the child. So empower the woman to be um, financially independent, even within the workspace so that she does not carry the guilt, uh, with, sorry, even within the home space so that she's not carrying the guilt that I have left my child in the daycare center. Reduced mobility should not equate to reduced confidence and reduced esteem. The minute we say that we have reduced their mobility and hence they are unable, we are putting the idea in their head. Why not say that they are able with increased or reduced mobility? Of course, we don't ignore the mobility aspect. Uh, finally, I want to close by saying a lot of young girls, especially as Rajshri Ma'am said, we talk to students all the time, career guidance, future plans, what do you want to do? I want to get out of India. Uh, I was reading up uh, a lot about uh, uh, the gender mobility issues in the developed countries. I was trying to figure out what are the problems. And I realized that they have other problems like, oh, I cannot take an open pram into a public transport. And that is my problem. For a, for a girl in India who's not even allowed to travel by bus because uh, or not allowed to get out of the house, the fact that she can get into a bus is itself an advantage. So what are the problems in the big world, uh, in the developed world are not necessarily uh, applicable here and I fear all the GDP that we're talking about may happen but it may not happen for India because every girl or 80-90% of the girls I talk to either they'll get married or they'll study and they could not they may not be um, cisgender women uh, as we say they could be not cis women they could be trans women India is not a safe space for them thing is let's just get out of yeah. here and I, yeah. I just like to conclude by saying that let's look at the non-heteronormative uh, Women gender also. Gender. Yeah, very important. Very, very important, Dr. Cecilia. Very, very insightful uh, of this response. Now, Aditi, we have read several of your articles. You have focused on the workforce, women in the informal sector, the macroeconomy. So, what kind of macroeconomic measures you would suggest uh, to create more uh, safety and also enhance mobility of women? for uh, their uh, educational and, uh, activity and also increase their employment and the workforce participation and career uh, upgrade. So hi everyone, it was really great listening to all of you. Um, and this is especially a topic that um, I've recently worked a lot on because um, as all of you have said, there's been so many studies in India that have determined that um, transport modes, uh, modes that are most frequently used by women um, they have uh, women, most women have been harassed in them and the kind of harassment they have faced, it's been extensively covered. Uh, but recently to better understand a woman's experience in public transport um, and the impact of such concerns on their mobility choices, uh, we at ORF, uh, along with Youth Ki Awas, conducted, conducted our own study over 10 months recently, um, uh, before and during the pandemic with the participation of 4,262 women across 140 Indian cities 
um, that surveyed and considered what could make women feel safer while using public transport, and also the state of current complaint and redressal mecha mechanisms that they are unable to use or they don't want to use for whatever reasons. And through these findings, significant findings, we could make a lot of uh, very interesting um, policy recommendations. Um, for example, the study found that women feel most unsafe uh, while waiting at congested interchanges and using transport facilities that don't have techno technological add-ons for safety, like non-app-based taxis and um, uh, uh, transport mobility uh, modes that require physical proximity to strangers like shared riding. So a non-app-based taxi, like your Kali Pili in Mumbai, was the least uh, safe mode of transport that women felt they could use. Um, as we all know, more, uh, more, more than half of the women that were surveyed actually reported that such feelings of insecurity have caused them to turn down education and work, response, uh, work opportunities, which is what this um, webinar is all about. And it's a more worrying statistic because as uh, Nikita also mentioned, anyways, the female labor force part participation is in a steady decline. Um, so women dropping out because they still don't feel, uh, feel safe is clearly a worrying statistic. And uh, women also prefer traveling in the peak daylight hours. I mean, we all know this, but this was a specific um, element of the study that we uh, found out. So nightlife laws that enable women to work are redundant if they don't have multiple choices for safe and secure transport because door-to-door -door, night conveyance, et cetera, is only provided by companies that, in, that can afford it. So we need to, we, we can't just focus on door-to-door uh, -door conveyance that companies will provide. We need to ensure that, uh, we can't ignore the fact that we have to, um, we have to strengthen our public transport systems as well, because another very, very interesting finding we found was that most women, most women, and this was like 80, 60 to 80% of women don't, aren't aware of the uh, emergency numbers uh, required in public transportation that they can use if, if something happens. Uh, most, and most women don't feel comfortable going to the authority if something happens to them. Most women don't prefer, prefer not doing anything about it because they don't feel comfortable about it, which was very interesting, which shows a lack of trust in redressal mechanisms that we have currently while traveling, uh, which is a very interesting perspective. And um, though most women feel that um, te technology will enable them to feel safer, like most women said that CCTV cameras, uh, GPS tracking, uh, panic buttons, in public transport will help them feel safer and increase their um, motivation to uh, travel and decrease um, their anxiety and insecurity. Just having these technological add-ons, as I think, I, I think Dr. Uh, Professor Vibhuti say, uh, said, isn't the solution because yeah, you can just see what the what the culprit is, and uh, th that's and. Uh, he, uh, that can be a um, redressal mechanism, but we need to form an ecosystem where um, along with the CCT, uh, CCTV cameras, et cetera, there's a task force that uh, analyzes which, um, which part of the mobility chain is the, having a safety audit done of which part of the mobility chain is the most unsafe, which is um, doing a safety mapping of entire routes at Presta, having a task force there to ensure that those areas are made safer, providing elements, infrastructure elements like lighting, um, like, um, uh, you know, having safe foot footpaths, not just um, widened footpaths, um, ensuring that there's, you know, there is safety in numbers. Uh, that is a big part of uh, any urban planning um, 
committee has to decide what the trade-off between safety and numbers and over congestion is because um, a lot of the women said that congestion is a factor that makes them feel unsafe but also if there are more people around it makes them feel safer so it is a trade-off um, so we need to ensure that our planning is um, geared towards having safety numbers but also not to con not having too much congestion and now because the pandemic congestion has become an even um, bigger uh, issue because it's not just safety issues from harassment but also from the virus um, and because of staggered commuting etc there has been more con congestion on interchanges and these waiting platforms uh, which has increased by 20 percent or so so we have to look into all these measures as well um, so um, I mean th there are obviously a lot more statistics and a lot more uh, recommendations that were in the report but essentially it was that um, even even uh, and we were talking about spouses and family members and how they respond to safety uh, most respondents in our survey said that uh, parents or spouses don't necessarily restrict them from using public transport but those who do face such restrictions um, uh, the family members do cite reasons of safety so it's not distance it's not money it is primarily safety that that is an issue for um, uh, not using uh, public transport. And another interesting factor that we found is most women um, use, uh, most women who use public transport, we, we also had a, who don't use public transport uh, questionnaire, but those, most women who use public transport uh, use auto rickshaws the most um, because most women don't travel really far distances and that's the best last mile. Um, and as our students said, we can jump out if anything goes wrong. It yeah, may yeah. injure me, but I can jump out well from tech seats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it wasn't one of the most safe. It was not in the top three safe ones that they considered. So obviously last mile connectivity is something that is required, but it has to be strengthened and made safer. Um, and like I said, taxi was the normal taxi. Uh, without by normal I mean without app was the least sa safe uh, mode of transport that was uh, that they felt um, and an app based was only because GPS tracking and the, they feel some kind of security of like okay but obviously it's a very superficial sense of security yeah exactly yeah. yeah so there is a lot of dependence on technology but we have to connect that uh, with appropriate redressal mechanisms and appropriate yeah. task forces and appropriate um, uh, committees, appropriate. Um, so Ola, for example, in Bangalore has kind of connected their panic buttons to certain police stations, et cetera, uh, which, is a, which is a good step. Um, I, it's just recently happened in February. So I don't know what the effect has been, et cetera, but these are steps which can be studied, seen how they work. Um, can be then be expanded across the country, etc. So these are the elements. Obviously, technology is booming, and we need to um, enable that in our systems. But we need to also ensure that it's not just a surface level. Um, uh, like the eyes on the road, no. The yeah. lonely places are most dangerous. So Aditi, very good perspective you have given in uh, summary of your study. Now coming to Dr. Sangeeta Desai, because you have been into women's studies, what can be the, how can we get to the root of this problem of safety and security? Because all that is being said is after the things happen, no? Because current, so what can we do to change the scenario in terms of our uh, family life, community life, societal level, and in terms of macro policy level? Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for this opportunity. And um, as, as already covered by the other speakers, I would also want to would like to say that our spaces, our public spaces are very gendered. 
so uh, if 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 we count, if we say uh, our metropolitan uh, our suburban trains which are which are the lifelines of our of our mumbai city uh, the number of spaces the number of compartments restricted for women for example are only few as compared to the to that of uh, of that of men so that itself is a it's a divide that we are doing in uh, in public uh, transportation now regarding safety a woman would not be entering that compartment at a specific peak level in a general compartment the same woman uh, if it is after 9 pm will enter that compartment uh, you know after a particular period of time so the space the same spaces uh, uh, de depending upon what time you are entering are are, are very uh, are very gendered is what uh, what i feel also the the patriarchal norms which are so gen which are so entrenched into our uh, society unless those uh, norms change the mobility of of girls and women will be a question mark uh, as you rightly pointed out that the number of management graduates uh, women uh, girls that are coming out of the manage uh, of the management schools of the premier institutes are not going Uh, are not joining a workforce, and there is a reason why they are not uh, joining workforce. There are. It's not that there are. Of course, there are scarce opportunities that are there. But of course, there are opportunities. But they wouldn't like to trade off that those opportunities because there is a cost. Uh, of, uh, there is a the norms that which they have to fulfill, or probably they are considering themselves as a secondary uh, earners. so probably the uh, the thing of you know i would like to uh, complete my duties as a as a wife mother and uh, takes or uh, takes her uh, precedence to her ambitions and also the uh, the factors the workplace that is that is there the work the, the like people would they someone said that uh, they want to run out of india at the first opportunity because uh, probably they want to find it safe uh, secured and not equal paying in the work in the workforce also so what we need to and why is it because those norms have got so much entrenched and this those uh, those do not change i think uh, the mobility will always remain a question mark uh, for for girls uh, and for uh, also for the vulnerable group so what would you suggest to the urban planners because that's the question is there so i'm just taking up questions also and the subsidized transport for women because delhi we have found that after free travel to women in metro so many women who were doing home based self employed women they have also started traveling because earlier the transport cost was prohibiting them from whatever the food they made or snacks they made or bakery bakery item now they make and they, they travel and supply it so they have lot of self employed small scale entrepreneurship has also flourished because of the subsidized transport i think the subsidized transport is a one great uh, measure especially we have seen in the bst buses where you know for in 5 rupees they are uh, people could travel even longer distances and uh, uh, and people and rightfully said people who would otherwise uh, share a auto three people in a auto now have moved to um, Uh, yes, public because transport because now five rupees is a very six, affordable six rupees six rupees six rupees is a very uh, affordable uh, and it, it it increases their mobility. Second part is the reservation for women. I think it's a, also an important part. The number of seats that get reserved for women. Uh, if, if, you special know, buses, special trains during special peak hours. Routes, special routes also. You know, special timings which are there for women. that has also uh, because people women now feel or girls now feel okay now i can take the 6 5 train from churchgate station because they, 
I know this entire nobody is going to harass me. Nobody is going to the lady uh, special. Yes, the lady special thing. So these kind of measures. Uh, and uh, the right to pee campaign, which has talked about the safe uh, restroom toilets in big cities, where, which are only for men, not for women. That correct. is also very much linked to and also these uh, 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 toilets, which are there sometimes they are closed or they are locked. So you know those kind of uh, campaigns we will definitely so. Uh, if we make our spaces our public spaces uh, you know gender equal i think then uh, the mobility can 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 actually improve yeah so now last word um, nikita would you like to respond to this uh, four panelists yeah. <laughs> yes thank you so much for all of your views it was very interesting and very useful for me to also like look at um, your perspectives from different lenses so we'll just go like and a lot of interesting things did come up in the sense that, let's say, when uh, Professor Rubruti talked about the concept of, of eyes on the street multiple times, it's a very uh, great concept in urban planning design because what they try to do is that have, grow, have markets, which are busy spaces, and residential spaces almost interspersed so that you're always in a slightly busy area. So which makes the concept of like somebody seeing you or somebody being around. So like uh, Professor Ruthie talked about street vendors or hawkers. So that is the way. And like it's comparing it with Delhi, you have entire areas which are just residential and they are quiet and they probably don't have street lighting. So that was a very interesting point over there. Uh, uh, Dr. Cecilia talked about um, like giving having girls believe in themselves. And Ms. Aditi talked about how technology can work to like, you know, make women feel safer or they rely more on technology or apps as such. Now, an interesting way to just like club maybe these things is perhaps uh, evidence has come from studies in Zambia where what they did was they taught adolescent girls negotiation skills. And this negotiation curriculum was based on something that they teach at Harvard Business School. So what they find, the researchers find that like when these girls undertook the negotiation skills curriculum, they were more assertive. So they had started to believe in themselves in the ways that you guys have like wanted, like, you know, that is like the first step towards accessing mobility. They believe in themselves. They fought with their parents, not just to like stay in school for longer, but also to go out and work so that they can make some money which can then finance their education. So there is a lot that we can do. And and yes, we do still have a long way to go. Yeah, I think excellent discussion. We all did excellent time management. Uh, Ms. Aditi Ratto has also shared the link for the report, which they have done They're based on their research. So that is one. And I would like to have only one sentence in the conclusion that what we need, we have a massive Herculean task in front of us to enhance women's mobility, women's uh, enhance their participation in the educational institution as well as in the workforce. Uh, so socialization of boys and girls, that is very important. Community life has to be more safe. Education system also has to re respond in terms of assertiveness, training and counseling of students. Employers have to change their outlook that it is not only just drop uh, policy, uh, like uh, uh, taking, uh, considering 
investment as in safety as a cost. Instead, it, they have to say that it is a fundamental necessity for the enterprise. Uh, safety and security uh, are ensured when there is a cluster approach. There should be more like the lonely places. They, they need more economic activities. There should be eyes on the road in the policy of town planning. And overall, our discourse on smart city should move to the safe city, which uh, uh, talks about the safety of women, children, elderly, lonely traveler. And I think the, the question of safety can uh, is very much linked to the macroeconomic policies. So Niti Aayog should also uh, reflect on it. And I think Aditi's your report, uh, I think, will be taken seriously by the town planners because 300 cities in the countries are uh, earmarked for smart city investment. Massive investment is going to be made to transform the face of the cities. So thank you very much for such an enriching and enlightening discussion. Over to Dr. Simi Mehta. Yes, I totally agree with you, ma'am, and with all the panelists. Thank you, Nikita, for this very insightful uh, session. And I would I echo with uh, what Professor Patel said, uh, safe cities. Um, but I feel that uh, no city can be smart unless it is safe. So first safety and then smartness that will follow. So uh, whether it is for uh, you know rural areas also smart smart villages and safe villages. So uh, very uh, I'm really elated and thankful uh, to all of you, uh, dear panelists. And um, some of the questions that have come up that were that have already been discussed by the panelists uh, in in their remarks. So thank you to all the uh, all the participants, and most of all, I'd like to thank uh, uh, our speaker for the day, Ms. Nikita Sharma. Thank you for joining us um, from London this morning, for you this afternoon, sorry, and um, for this very very insightful session. And our discussants, Dr. Sangeeta Desai, Dr. Cecilia Chetiar, uh, Ms. Aditi Ratho, or Dr. Rajshree Trivedi, and uh, our uh, very dear chairperson for the session, uh, Professor Vibhuti Patel. Thank you so much. It was very, very enlightening. And uh, we'll share the event report with you. And uh, uh, this will be, this is, I hope this is just the beginning of uh, very important deliberations forward. Thank you so much for joining. Have a good day and please stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for Thank having you. us here. Thank you very much. Thank All you. Take care. Stay bye. safe. Thank bye, you. bye bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye bye.